And, um, but I'm really excited about this morning's message. This morning's message is called Yawning Angels. And you're probably like, what on earth are you going to talk about? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute about what Yawning Angels is all about. But I read this really cool quote by Helen Keller. Does everybody know who Helen Keller is? If you don't know who Helen Keller is, put your hand up. All right, you don't know who Helen Keller is? She is someone who is blind and deaf and mute, but was amazing. So I don't know what our excuses are. But anyway, she said this. She said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. That's pretty, like, blunt, isn't it? Life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing. In other words, either life is adventurous or it's not worth living is really what she was saying. And, and I've been around long enough to know that there's a whole lot of Christ followers, Christians, people that follow Christ, that live a lot of their time stressed out trying to figure out what God wants them to do, what the will of God is for their life. The most question I ever get asked is, what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? In fact, that's the biggest question I even get from people who aren't followers of Christ, is what, what does God want from me? And it's the biggest question that most people have, and it's, and it's something that people stress themselves out about, because the reality is, most of us, we want to be able to solve what the will of God is in the way that we solve a crossword puzzle. We want to be able to work it out like a Sudoku, what the will of God is. But the problem is this, and I need you to understand this this morning, is that in my experience, intellectual analysis usually results in spiritual paralysis. The more that you try to work out in your head what God wants you to do, the more paralyzed you are to do anything. Because God doesn't operate by intellectual, logical thought all the time. He operates out of faith, and faith just doesn't make sense a lot of the time. And so for a lot of us, we're trying to work out what God's will is. We get all stressed out about it, but when we're trying to work out what God's will is, it's not that we're trying to work it out by prayer and fasting. We're trying to work it out in our heads of what it is that God wants us to do. And an intellectual analysis usually leads to spiritual paralysis, where you just get stuck and you don't know what to do, so you just don't do anything, waiting for this fairy godmother moment where God comes to you in the middle of the night in a pink tutu and a wand and goes, bing, this is what I want you to do with your life. And it's just not the way that God works. And the problem is, is that we tend to, when we don't seem to understand what God's will is for our lives, what we tend to do is we tend to feel like there's something spiritually wrong with us when we experience circumstantial uncertainty. We tend to think that something's wrong with me when, when I'm really uncertain about what's going on around me, that something, I should know this, I should be at peace, I should have God, you know, I should be able to, you know, be confident in my way through this. I don't know about you, but, but, but there have been times in my life where, yes, I've got a word from God in a situation that's difficult, and I have an absolute confidence that I'm going to be okay. But that's probably 10% of the time, 90% of the time, when I'm going through something in life, and I'm trying to figure out what it is that God's doing, there's a whole lot of uncertainty going on on the inside of me. Am I the, am I the only one? Are you going to leave me hanging here? Yeah, you know, the rest of you are lying. I'm the only one telling the truth this morning. But here's the thing. Jesus actually promised circumstantial uncertainty. He actually promised that that's how you're going to feel, that you're going to feel uncertain about a whole lot of things. In fact, he said this in John 3, 8. He said, for the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it is going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. 
In other words, he's saying, you, you can't, you can hear the wind, but you can't see the wind. And you certainly don't know which way the wind is blowing. And he's saying that us, when we become followers of Christ, when the Holy Spirit gets in on the inside of us, and the Holy Spirit starts to direct us, it's the same thing. You can hear his voice, but you can't necessarily see which way he's blowing. You see, circumstantial uncertainty is not something that God is trying to keep from you. It's actually something that he told you would happen to you. And as unsettling as it is, circumstantial circumstantial uncertainty actually goes by another name, and it's called adventure. Come on. It's an adventure. It's an adventure. Circumstantial uncertainty is an adventure. I don't know what God is going to do, but God is doing something. And there's this there's this part of you, there's two, there's just two parts of you. One part of you that hates that, and the other part of you that's like, bring it on, I'm loving this. I call it the tamed and the untamed part of you. And the thing is, is this, is that if you pursue God, I, I can't promise you safety or certainty in your pursuit of Him, but I can promise you that it'll never be boring. That a pursuing a life that pursues Christ is never boring, and if you would describe your relationship with God as anything less than adventurous, then maybe you think that you're following the Spirit, but you've actually settled for something else. Most people that I know that would feel like their Christian life or their spiritual life is boring and not adventurous would be people that I would call living what I would call an inverted Christianity. Inverted Christianity is, instead of serving God's purposes, we get God to serve our purposes. How do you know if you're living in an inverted Christianity? Because your prayers aren't, hey God, speak to me about what it is that you'd like me to do. Your prayers are, hey God, can you do this for me? Come on. Let's be honest, most of our prayers are not, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of us is, you know, it's our Father, hallowed be your name, my will be done on earth, and can you get your act together in heaven? Come on, I'm just being honest today, yeah? Most of us don't pray properly. We, we, we instead of serving God's purposes, we want God to serve our purposes. And the problem with inverted Christianity is that an inverted relationship with God is not only a self-absorbed life, but it actually leaves you feeling empty. Actually, it feels, leaves you feeling unfulfilled. It's also the difference, in my opinion, between spiritual boredom and spiritual adventure. And I didn't really understand this, you know, because I hear people say, oh, my spiritual life is just boring. And I don't understand that because, because I've always found my spiritual walk adventurous. And I started to understand how we can get into the spiritual boredom a little bit when I went to South Africa a couple of years ago, not, not a blight on South Africa, just in case there's South Africans here going, that's it, I'm here. Um, it's just that I got to see animals in the wild, you know, not in a zoo. For example, there's a picture of me with my good mate, my good mate, the elephant, and um, this elephant was in the wild, and the guy says, well, you can go and pat him, and I'm like, this is, this is how quickly I moved. Yeah, 
as he's standing there. I got to see rhinos in the wild, giraffes in the wild, wildebeest in the wild. Um, the only thing I didn't get to see in the wild was, was uh, lions. They were in a big fenced area, but how many people know you don't want to see lions in the wild? Um, but the thing that kind of struck me the most when I was there is that I was outside uh, of the accommodation where we were on Live Village and, and um, preparing for a, a message on, on the Sunday, and it was a Saturday, and, and in the, they had big fences around to, to keep the kids safe and all that sort of stuff, but outside of the fence were all these monkeys, um, and, and they were completely and totally wild monkeys, and while I am, while I am sitting there um, just preparing for the message, there's a couple of them hanging on to the, onto the fences, you know, and they're like, you know, going off at you and just being, being monkeys, just being cheeky, you know, and um, I was finding that a little bit distracting, so I decided to go inside my accommodation, and so I went back inside, and next minute I can hear the rubbish cans just going crash and everything going on, and I, and I pop my head out the back door, and what do I find? I find the monkey has now gone from the fence to the rubbish bin. He's throwing everything everywhere. He's just, it's just, he's untamed. He's wild. He's out of control. And to be honest with you, I just want to shut the back door because I'm not even sure. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, you get, you get your two-year-old when they start their tantrums, and it's kind of like, you know you need to deal with it, but they're just, the best thing you do is just shut them in a room and let him wait an hour, and hopefully it wears off. Okay, you didn't have kids like mine, that's cool. And, and, but the thing that I loved about it is that, is that this, this monkey, it was untamed, it was uncaged, and it was, just, it was just being itself. It was being its cheeky, naughty self, and it had the freedom to do that because it wasn't caged. And I realized that the only time I'd ever, I mean, I, I sat there looking out the back window for probably 45 minutes just watching this monkey run amok in the, around the back of the place until some of the people from the village came up and whoo, shoot it all off because it was, it was playing with the power box and all sorts of stuff, you know? It was just being a monkey, yeah? And I realized that the only other time I'd ever seen a monkey was in a zoo, caged. And the thing is, is that it wasn't the same. In a zoo, it's, it's, it's safe, it's tame, it's predictable. It, there was no predictability about what this monkey was going to do next, but in the zoo, it's kind of like, they've got the certain things they play on, and it's predictable, and it's safe, and it's tame. And to be honest with you, the zoo now, for me, after seeing that in the wild, is just boring. It's just boring. And sometimes I wonder if, the, if we, the church, do to people what zoos do to animals. Sometimes I wonder if we, the church, do to people what zoos do to animals. We take people out of their natural habitat, we bring them to Christ, and then we try to tame them in the name of Jesus, and we try to remove all the risk around them. We try to remove all the danger around them. We try to remove the struggle around them. And actually what we end up doing is we end up with a caged Christian. A caged Christian. And the tame part of us grows accustomed to the safety of the cage. I know how to do church. I know how to come here on a Sunday, lift my hands during the singing, um, cl- well, 
no, most of us don't know how to clap during the praise, but that's okay, you'll learn. Um, and we lift our hands during the singing, and, and we say amen every now and then while the guy's preaching, and we stick around afterwards and smile at people and drink a coffee. We know how to do church. We know how to close our eyes. We know how to do the Christian thing. We know the expectations, that we, and, and it just becomes safe, and it becomes tame, and we become accustomed to it. And if you're not careful, it just becomes a cage for you and leads to a spiritual boredom rather than a spiritual adventure. And the problem is, is that the tamed part of us finds safety in that, but the untamed part of us longs for the danger and longs for the challenge and longs for some adventure. And at some point on our spiritual journey, the safety and the predictability of the cage no longer satisfies. And what I've seen people do, rather than going after the adventuring God, they walk away from God because it's boring and it's just not satisfying me anymore. Why? Because you and I have put in us by God in an int primal longing to live uncaged. To live uncaged. And the cage opens for you and I when we realize, and I want you to understand this this morning, the cage opens for you and I when we have a revelation and recognize that Jesus didn't die on the cross to keep us safe. Jesus died on the cross to make us dangerous. Come on. This is not a year for safe. 2020 made people become insular, made people become all about keeping ourselves safe. We've got to do this, we've got to wear masks. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do any of that. I'm not bagging out what we did around COVID. But the problem is, if you live long enough in that environment without understanding, you become caged by that mindset and we start to live our lives safe instead of living our lives dangerous. And then our spirituality becomes boring instead of becoming adventurous. And he didn't die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous. Don't get me wrong. Praying for protection is fine. I, I pray that God would protect my children every single day. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed a prayer that said, God, make me dangerous? Make me dangerous. Make me dangerous. And that, all of that thought there leads to this question. Do angels get bored? Do angels yawn? I mean, I was reading in Revelation that they fly around the throne room of God singing holy, 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 and they've done that for trillions of years. Do they get bored with that? Then I shifted from do they get bored with that to I wonder if some of us, you and me, are living such safe lives that not only are we bored, but our guardian angels are bored. Our guardian angels are like, oh, Craig's up this morning. I wonder whether our guardian angels are bored. I'm wondering if they could, if, if they would, if they could, if they would coax us out of our cage and beg us to give them something dangerous to do. I'm wondering whether they just get bored with us. I'm wondering if the boredom that we're experiencing in our Christianity is not God's fault. It's, it's we've lost our sense of adventure and, and we've allowed the tame part of us to, to embrace the safety of the limits that we've put around our worlds. And my prayer for you and me today is that in spite of our doubts, 
in spite of our fears, in spite of our problems, that we would have the courage to come out of our cages and live the dangerous life for the cause of Christ that he's called us to do. There's a Danish theologian called Soren Kierkegaard, and he believed this, he believed that boredom was the root of all evil. And I actually wonder if he's onto something, because when I think back in my life, especially when I was a teenager and got up to no good, most of the time when I got up to no good, it's because I was bored. Most, most of you parents understand this, yes? When your kids start saying, I'm bored, you're like, okay, what's going to happen now? Yeah? They have a thousand and one things to do, but they're bored. It's a little bit like there's nothing to eat in this house as there's a fridge and freezer full of food and cupboards. But if it can't be done in 30 seconds or less, there's nothing to eat in the house. Can I get a... Thank you. Thank you, parents, for your support. And he believed that it was the root of all evil. And you know what? I, I think when, even in, with what Trinity does with all of these kids that have been kicked out of school and they run a school and that, most of those kids, the stuff that they get up to, the stealing of cars and all that sort of stuff, they tell Trinity, oh, we were bored, so we stole a car. Boredom he said, was the root of all evil. And I don't think he's too far from the truth. In fact, boredom isn't just boring. I think boredom is wrong. Well, I think when it comes to the kingdom that boredom is wrong. Why? Because I don't believe that you can be bored and live by faith at the same time. I don't, the two don't go together. They're opposing to each other. The life of faith is a life of adventure. Boredom is opposed to adventure. How can you say, oh, I'm living by faith, but then find your Christianity boring? I would suggest to you that you're not living by faith, but you've folded into the safe, secure, caged environment. And there was a man known as a rich young ruler who was just like this, and I want to read you his story. And he says this in, in Matthew 19, it says, Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. In other words, he's telling you, you've got to give your life to Christ. That's what you've got to do. And the man asked, What in particular? And Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. He's basically going off the Ten Commandments, you're right? He's saying you keep these commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, I have done this. What do I still lack? If you want to give all you've got, Jesus replied, go and sell all your possessions, give everything to the poor, all your wealth will then be in heaven, then come follow me. That was the last thing the man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let them go. You see, in this story, on paper, the rich young ruler had it all, but there was something missing. The rich young ruler had all the possessions, but not only that, forget the possessions part. I don't, I don't want you to focus on the fact that he was rich. I want you to understand that Jesus said to him, you've got to keep all the commandments. And he said, I'm doing that. And Jesus didn't say to him, no, you're not. He was keeping all the commandments. He was doing all the right things. He was living within the boundaries of his Christian walk, if you want to put it that way. He was, he was doing all the right stuff, but something was still missing. Well, how do you know that something was still missing? 
how do you know that this rich young ruler, in my opinion, was bored with his faith? Because the question that he asked to me, to Jesus, is evidence that something was missing because he said, I've done all those things, but what do I lack? What do I lack? What am I missing? I'm doing all of that stuff. I'm doing everything you tell me to do, but something is missing. What is it that I'm lacking? And I want to tell you this morning, I believe that what he was lacking was spiritual adventure. His life was too easy. It was too predictable. It was too comfortable. He kept all the commands. But the problem is, those commands felt now like a religious cage. He was like, I do all that, but I'm still lacking something. Something's not working. I'm lacking the sense of adventure. I think there was a deep-seated longing within him for something more than simply not doing anything wrong. I think he was looking for adventure. You mean, not breaking the commands is good, don't get me wrong, but simply not breaking commands is not spiritually satisfying. Living a, a good life and behaving and doing all the right things or whatever you want to word it, that's not satisfying. Just keeping rules without adventure is not satisfying. It leaves us with a feeling that we're caged in this thing. And I honestly think it's where many of us find ourselves today. In fact, I would suggest that over the years, of being, in youth, uh, of being in ministry and youth leadership and pastoring a church and all that sort of thing, uh, what I've observed is that many Christians would say that their life is boring and they're bored with their faith. That it's just not doing it for them anymore. I pick up the Bible and it's boring. I try to pray and it's boring. I turn up to church on Sunday, it's boring. I would say that I've seen that a lot and, and here's the thing, we we know that our sins are forgiven and forgotten, and we, we know that we'll spend eternity with God, and we're all trying to live our best lives within God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. But if we're honest with ourselves, we all still have that gnawing feeling that there's something missing. This is not enough. This is not enough. There has to be more. And I think that the rich young ruler is a representation of a generation that longs to come out of the cage and live dangerously for the cause of Christ. But the problem is, is that too many of us end up settling for spiritual mediocrity instead of striving for spiritual maturity. We settle for spiritual mediocrity. Oh, at least I'm saved. I'm turning up to church. You should be pleased. I'm doing you a favor by being here on a Sunday morning. No, 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 that's spiritual mediocrity. Spiritual maturity says, I need to be in church on a Sunday because I need to be around the people of God because I need to connect with others because God has put something on the inside of me that I need to share with those around me. I need to be talking about who Christ is for me with my friends and my neighbors because God's put something on the inside of me that says I can't live cage within the four walls of the church, but I have to be someone who's in the wild seeing people's lives transformed. There's something within me that says this is not satisfying, this is not enough, this just, just won't do it, and I feel like all I'm doing is I'm ticking boxes and I feel like I'm living this Christian life, but in reality, I'm bored with it. And the reason why you're bored with it is because you settle for spiritual mediocrity instead of pursuing spiritual maturity. Jesus speaks to the 
deep-seated longing for adventure by challenging us to come out of the cage. But the thing is, is by coming out of the cage, the very thing in which we find, that we have to let go of the very thing in which we find our security and our identity outside of Christ. And for the rich young ruler, what God was asking him to let go of was his cage of financial security. It may not be that for you. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he said, come follow me. Now, when I first read that, I kind of feel bad for the rich young ruler, because how could God ask him, when he's kept all the commands, how could Jesus ask him and demand so much from him when he's obviously been living right, when he's obviously been doing the right thing? He asked him to give up everything that he had. How could you ask someone who's, who's doing right, who's keeping the commands, he's doing the right, how could you ask him to give up everything that he has? How could you demand that of him? The reason why sometimes we think that what God is asking of him and asking from us, and in his case especially from him, is too much, is because we actually don't appreciate what Jesus put on the table for him as an offer. He said, sell everything you got and come follow me. Jesus was giving him an invitation that was so much more than what the rich young ruler was ever going to give up. Jesus was saying to him, come and be my disciple. Come and follow me. Come be my friend. Come hang out with me. Come and be a part of my world. This was an opportunity of a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I quite often think, how much easier would have my life been if I could have been a disciple and just learn straight from the horse's mouth, yes? Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be good so often because Peter got told, get behind me, Satan, and some things like that. That could have been a little soul-crushing. But what a great opportunity. Salivant, come follow me. Come and be a disciple of mine. But the thing is, is that he went away sad, and the reason why he went away sad is because he opted for the cage of his financial security. And I think we have to be so careful not to be like the rich young ruler who chose to accessorize his life over a life of adventure. He chose to accessorize his life over a life of adventure. And the disciples that did follow Christ, just think about that for a moment. They got to hear the parables right there. They got to sit and hear the parables. They got to drink the water that Jesus turned to wine. They got to fillet the fish from the miraculous catch. They got to be there when Jesus turned the temple upside down. They got to be there and see him ascend to heaven. They got to be there and see him raise the dead. They got to be there and see him feed the 5,000. They got to be there and see him heal the lepers and heal the blind and heal the blame. And they got to see all of that. And then not only that, they then got to go to the four corners of the world and spread the gospel in a way that nobody else has ever done. These 12 guys got to be part of the adventure of following Christ. They gave up their fishing rights. They gave up everything and followed him, but they got to be part of the adventure and got to see it. And not only did they get to see it in Jesus, but they got to continue it after he left. Peter got to walk past people and his shadow saw them healed as he walked past the adventure of following Christ, the spiritual adventure. The rich young ruler said, man, that's too much for me. That's a safety. I'm going to stay in my cage. And he got to miss out on all of that. 
You see, he failed to recognize that what he was giving up was nothing compared to what God was offering him. The offer that God was putting in his hands was so much more than these disciples would have lived and died within the sight of the Sea of Galilee. Instead, got to see the world because they chose to follow instead of staying caged. And just like the rich young ruler, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. The same offer is extended to you and I. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come on this adventure. We can either stay in our cage and end up with everything and realize it amounts to nothing, or we can come out of our cage and chase after God. Because here's the thing. When you and I lack the guts to step out in faith, we actually rob God of the glory that rightfully belongs to him. Because God wants to write his story through your life. And the thing is, is God's favorite genre is action adventure. And he wants to write it in your life. And you can choose the safety and predictability of the cage, forfeiting an adventure with God that he has destined for you. But the thing is, is that you won't be the only one that's missing out. There'll be others that miss out. The person that needs to hear about the love of God won't hear it if you don't seize the opportunity. Person stuck in poverty or stuck in ignorance or stuck in pain won't get out of what they're stuck in because you're not there to help them. Where might the advance of God's kingdom in the world stall because you weren't there in the front lines keeping it going? In Acts 17, verse 6, it says, Those troublemakers, this is them talking about the disciples, who have turned the world upside down, have come to our city. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be on a venture where we see our world turned upside down. It's not that God can't do it. It's just that the laborers are few. There's too many people living caged Christianity rather than living wild and free. And Jesus' disciples didn't just live an exciting life. They turned the world upside down. And that is what we're called to be a part of. The book of Acts has not ended. We are living in the book of Acts. And the same stuff that happened then is the same stuff that God wants to do now. And pursuing God is an invitation to become part of something bigger than who we are and more important than who we are. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we in? Are we in? Are we in for this adventure? Just as I finish this morning, let me just give you six cages that will keep you in spiritual mediocrity and away from an adventure. And the, and the, can I get the keys? That would be really cool. The first one is this, is a cage of responsibility. Here's the reality. Over the course of your lifetime, your God-ordained passions tend to get buried underneath the day-to-day -day responsibilities. That's just true, Yeah. Our God-ordained passions can tend to get buried under our day-to-day -day responsibilities. Less important responsibilities displace ones that are more important. And our responsibilities become spiritual excuses, if we're honest with ourselves, that keep us from an adventure with God that He has destined for us. And without even knowing it, we begin to practice 
what I would call irresponsible responsibility. Because your greatest responsibility and my greatest responsibility is to pursue the passions that God has placed in our hearts. The first cage that will hold you back is a cage of responsibility. The second one is a cage of routine. At some point in our spiritual journey, most of us will trade adventure for routine. And it's not that there's something wrong with routine. In fact, routine's really important in your spiritual growth, developing healthy and holy routines, like reading your Bible and praying and doing stuff like that. They're called spiritual disciplines. And they're so important for you to put it into your life. But here's the thing. Once a routine becomes routine, we've got to disrupt the routine. We've got to change it up a little bit. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I speak in tongues and I can remember when I was younger and I was just kind of getting bored with my tongue language. And then I just had this idea, maybe I could ask God for a new one. And so fairly regularly, I say, God, can you just change it up a bit? Can you just change it up a bit? Can you imagine what my marriage would be like if every single date we ever went on was the same movie and the same meal? It would be all right if it was like taken. Just watch that over and over and over and over and over again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You've got you to shake up the routine. Otherwise, sacred routines become empty rituals that keep us caged. You've got to shake it up a little bit. Third one is a cage of assumptions. Our assumptions keep many of us from chasing God's dreams. I'm too old or I'm too young or underqualified or I'm overqualified. It's too easy and the lists just go on and on and on for the assumptions that we believe that means that we can't have this life of pursuit. And as we age, many of us stop believing and we start assuming. We stop believing that God can do something. We start assuming. We stop living out of our imagination and we start living out of our memory. Oh, you didn't get that this morning. We start, stop living out of our imagination. We stop dreaming about what God can do. And we limit it to the memories of what we've gone through. Oh, if I step out for God like that, remember we talked about that the other week with, with Moses. When God said, I want you to deliver your people. And he says, but what if they... What if they reject me this time like they rejected me last time? He's living out of his memory rather than out of his imagination. He's living out of his past failures rather than his future potential. Assumptions will limit us. Next one is a cage of guilt. The enemy's tactics have never, ever changed in regards to you and I. It's the tactic he used in the Garden of Eden. It's a tactic he uses today where he tries to neutralize you spiritually by getting us to focus on what we've done wrong in our past. See, when the enemy gets on us about what we've done wrong and gets guilt in our lives, guilt turns us into reactionaries. But the Spirit of God wants to turn us into revolutionaries for his cause. The enemy will try and limit you with guilt and get you to react to everything. But God say, hey, I've come I've come to transform your reflexes to different situations so that you're not a reactionary anymore, but so that you can be a revolutionary in your world. As long as you're focused on what you've done wrong in the past, you'll never have the energy to dream the dreams that God has for you for the future. 
cage of failure. Cage of failure is such an ironic cage because the cage of failure is actually usually where God starts to begin something new. Yeah? Come on. Sometimes our plans have to fail in order for God's plans to succeed. And we can get into this fear because I tried something and it didn't work, but usually failure is where God begins because His strength is made perfect in my weaknesses. Failures are not final. Failures are just stepping stones to greater things. It's okay to fail. Because failure makes me reliant on Him. Divine detours and divine delays are the way that God gets us to where He wants us to go. And last but not least, as the rest of the band comes, is a cage of fear. Cage of fear. Cage of fear. We need to quit living as if the purpose of life is for us to arrive safely at death. We need to start playing of offense with our lives instead of defense with our lives. Remember the Bible says this, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates aren't attacking, the gates are defending. Our position is not defense, our position is attack. Why? Because we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Come on. The world needs more daring people with daring plans. So why not you? Why not you? My favorite scripture in the Bible, probably, is Ephesians 3.20. I'm going to read this to you as we finish this morning. It says this, it says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for His miraculous power consistently energizes you. Let me read that again to you this morning. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and you exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. I don't know about you, but if anything's a call to a life of adventure, it's that scripture. That we would dream dreams that we impossible for us to achieve. That we have an imagination of stuff that God could do that everybody else says is impossible. That we would be that. That's a call to adventure. But for that call of adventure, something starts stirring on the inside of you. Something in your spirit starts going, hey, that's what I like. That's me. I love that. That power of God that's on the inside of me. Come on, let's go. Let's live this life of adventure. And, and our problem is, is that this untamed part of us is ready to go but the cage part of us says no stop I got too many responsibilities I failed before when I tried that I got a real fear about that happening and I feel like God's saying this morning man I want to get you out of the cage it's time to live wild it's time to get back on the spiritual adventure it's time to let go of the spiritual mediocrity. 2021 is not a year to sit back. It's a year to storm forward. 
It's a year to move forward in your marriage. It's a year to move forward in your family. It's a year to move forward in your career. It's a year to move forward as a church. It's a year to move forward into our community. It's a year to move forward in the spirit realm and pull down principalities and powers and things that are trying to stop and cage people in because it's not just Christians that get caged. It's people that don't know Christ that get caged by alcohol, caged by drugs, caged by anger, caged by all those things. And the only way to get someone uncaged is that somebody who is already living in the wild brings them out of their cage to live a wild life. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?